0: Sorry for the interruption. Coming up is a podcast brought to you by the dedicated and diverse volunteers at 3CR. Our podcasts keep community strong and for the month of June, we're asking listeners to donate to the station to help keep us going. We rely on the generous donations of the community to survive. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate and show your support for community owned and community run media. Happy listening. G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, the only national program focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. This program is produced in Melbourne for 3CR on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and we pay our respects to their eldest, past, present and emerging Stick Together is broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation and brought to you on your local community radio station. Reconciliation Week began with National Sorry Day and ends on June the 5th with Marbo Day. Today we hear a recollection of the people behind the Wave Hill Walk-Off from Tanya Macomble, who was speaking at the Melbourne Marxist Conference this year a fascinating
1: account from the other side of the fence. It's about a bad lord, but I thought I'd start off with a good lord. If you've heard of Lord Vesty, (laughs) the bad one, the butcher. But there was a good lord in my life too, amazingly enough. He was called Viscount Stansgate. He renounced his title so he could represent the people in the parliament. He became Tony Wedgwood Ben, and then... Tony Benn then he resigned from the parliament so he could get involved in politics so he would often come to the northeast of England, talk to the miners support the miners, organize and he had this amazing statement the rally and I thought I'd start with that if you don't know where you've been you don't know where you are and you certainly don't know where you're going. So that's how I'll start. Learn our history from the people who made it, work out what you've learned and where we are, and then try and draw a map to where we've got to go. Now back to the bad lord, who actually got his lordship for the money he earned. He was a billionaire lord. I was working two jobs in London in 1973, one for the rent for the landlord and the other for the bills, when I saw a Granada TV documentary, The Unlucky Australians. Frank Hardy, an early Communist Party member, had written the book, the same name, and now a documentary. I worked three nights a week in a South London pub, and the men I pulled beer for actually worked in the local meatworks. They talked about what they'd seen. People whose land had been occupied by the British government were slaves for rations on Wave Hill Cattle Station in the Northern Territory of Australia. And they were working for Lord Vesty, a British aristocrat who ran cattle on their land. Well, not just on their land, He had land all over the world, Brazil, Argentina, Venezuela, Guatemala. And like I say, he wasn't even a British aristocrat. He was a butcher with butcher shops and made a lot of money. He didn't just own the land and the stations and the cattle. He owned the slaughterhouses, the big freezers, the ships carrying the meat the meatworks, wherever the meat, was loaded and unloaded. In Britain, he had the chain of butcher shops, Dewhurst's, and he owned this meatworks in London. So the men in the pub worked for Lord Vesti, They, along with the men and women in the film, worked for the same boss. The documentary we'd seen told the story of a strike of station workers from Wavehill Station which started in 1966. They'd gone on strike for pay, then equal pay, and the strikers were holding out seven years later in a strike camp, breaking the law, occupying one square mile of what was, according to that paper law, Lord Vesti's Land. Well, he paid rent to the government, 55 cents a year, one square mile on one part and five cents for one square mile for one year on the rest of it I think Wave Hill Station alone at the time covered about 30,000 square miles about the size of Belgium and he had an agreement that let him do that for 99 years the demand of the station workers now was for the land back and their right to control it. That night, the men in the pub, 12,000 miles away, the men with the same boss, decided to call for a one-day strike in support. It happened, and every worker gave a day's wages and sent the money to the workers in Australia to support them in their fight against vested. So why do I tell that story? Because sometimes the big picture comes really easy, isn't it? The um, people are kept down so that they can be exploited, making money for the boss, and it's even the same boss. They see that picture. 12,000 miles away, different languages, different color, nothing. No such thing as race and the same boss they are hurting vesti so let's give them a hand solidarity, strength united we stand, revolution around the corner sounds easy doesn't it (laughs) as I talked with the meat workers and we stood and raised our glasses to the who? the guringi? I had no idea that not long after I would end up in Australia I hadn't particularly wanted to come Wasn't Australia like South Africa? I'd never eaten an outspan orange from South Africa or a Jaffa orange from Israel since I was born. And I learned after I got here that in fact, it was the Queensland state that invented invented apartheid. And the South Africans government or whatever forces took it back as a gift from Queensland, Australia. I had heard of Australian government officials going to refugee camps in Europe and hand-picking, or should I say eye-picking, who would come to Australia. Australians in London had exiled themselves from the country, some to avoid America's war. And there were writers and artists as well, because censorship was really big here. You couldn't read T.H. Lawrence. You couldn't buy a book on natural childbirth. So I asked a couple of Australians about it, what do you do? And they said, we're going back. 23 years of pain is over. Gough Whitlam's the leader now. Times, they are a changer. My partner was a linguist. The Whitlam government had decided to fund writing down the languages of this land. The people themselves would produce books so that everyone could learn to read and write in their own language, known as your mother tongue. But on a stolen, occupied land with about 500 languages at the time, there were hardly any linguists. Australians weren't even aware of the number of languages in the land they lived in. The Institute of Aboriginal Studies in Canberra, which funded this, therefore, was looking to Canada, America and Britain, all the colonial powers, to recruit English-speaking linguists. So I arrived in Canberra, strange city, where I went to my first demonstration in Australia. It was at the Tent Embassy, and I got to boo the Queen, (laughs) a long way to come to do that. But I'd already done it a few times already. I was pregnant at the time and was told, don't go out there, there's no help, there's no doctors, no medical help. So I stayed in Canberra while my partner took off in his said plate Toyota. You know what that means? It means you're a federal government vehicle. And people in Australia, in the territory, reached for their guns when they saw that vehicle coming up the road. But he was armed with a pen and a notebook and an old school tape recorder and a map. And he'd been given the name of one language, Mudborough. Go and find it. Somewhere between Elliot and Catherine, and maybe a little bit west of the highway, Stuart Highway. I stayed behind reading the NT News in the library. It wasn't all about crocodiles then. The headline on the story I was reading just before my partner arrived in Elliot was, Elliot, Australia's Little Rock. That was the town in Arkansas, USA, where the townspeople were refusing to allow the children of former slaves to go to the same school. It was the same in Elliot. They didn't want the kids there who were now refugees from the cattle stations because they wouldn't pay them, couldn't employ them. So they were withdrawing their kids. Anyway, an old man in Elliot told my partner the Buwer had all gone to the strike camp at Waddy Creek, and told him how to get there. He said there'd been a strike at the nearby Newcastle Waters cattle station, and they'd all gone to Waddy Creek. When my partner arrived there, the people met him politely, asked him his business. He told them, and they said he was to camp on the other side of the creek from the strike Village. He was, after all, a single white fella. Could be very dangerous. Tomorrow, come back and we'll sit and discuss things then. And there was an old man living on the other side. He'd broken serious social rules and his wife had been banished, but he was old now. So every morning they came back and worked and lived in the community and every evening they went to sleep on the other side. Not really punishment. While the talks were going on, my partner did the same. As a result of that, the people called my partner and the old man, Bugaga, brothers. When academics like anthropologists live in communities here, they often say how they behaved well, they were given relationships everyone loved them and included them well maybe that's a bit bullshit if you aren't included somehow nobody can talk to you or knows how to talk to you and you certainly don't know how to do it so the first thing I had to do was to learn to live in a society with the most complex social structure I'd ever come across I knew a few I'd travelled a bit and even my mob the pitmen of England hadn't been worker slaves to the coal barons all their lives but this one there were 16 categories of human being the one you got came from the combination of the ones your mother and father had and that's just the beginning so my partner, sitting, talking with the old man into the evening, could be his brother, so he must be a jambijana, like the old man. That meant I was a nangery, because that's the kind of person I married. And the baby that hadn't been born yet was a Jangala or a nangler. They hadn't even met me. They didn't know what I was like. But there I was, slotted in the social system. I don't think I made it much past primary school in the education system, but I thought I should mention it. Because you could be sweet, stupid, clumsy, greedy, big-hearted, an artist, a gardener, a dancer, a cook, a drover, disabled, blind, a bit crazy, didn't matter. You were equal with and to everyone else. You are caught in an amazing network of rights, obligation, care, and responsibility. And some relations are very serious, and others could be very cheeky. The point was, if you had no section to belong to, nobody really knew how to talk to you, and you couldn't learn how to behave. Even the boss at Wave Hill was given one. Don't think it meant people loved him. But that some of them could treat him as a brother... And therefore, talk to him. I mean, he was around most of the time ruling their lives, and someone had to make him listen to the list of demands they were going to come to him with. So, a week after my son was born, almost a year after seeing the unlucky Australians, I was amazingly living in that strike camp on Vesti's lease at Dagarago that the meat workers in London had seen on the television.
2: You're listening to Stick
0: Together, Worker Stories and Union News, broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. We are listening to Tanya McComble's account of her time with the people behind the Wave Hill walk-off.
1: We were family now. My partner had a wife, so we crossed the creek and lived in the village. They wanted school books, dictionaries, and the linguist had to listen to all the languages, all of them, not just Guranji. He had to listen to Mudbara, Naringman, Naliura, Ninin, Bilunara and more. And then we could stay. And so began my education about Australia. History firsthand, and from a mob of people who wouldn't give in. It had started as a strike for wages, and then equal wages, with the White Stockman. Seven and a half years later, and now, stuffed the bosses. They wanted their land back to run the cattle for themselves. They're known as the Gurundji, but that was so the white fellas wouldn't get confused. We had a reputation for not being good with lots of languages, different groups, complicated social organisation. We were a bit socially inadequate, I think you might say. If they'd called it the strike, It would have confused us. <laughs> so after more than 50 years of massacre, rape, slavery, corporal punishment, misuse of their knowledge. They planned a strike and it was a big thing. The demand at first was wages. Vesti stations had an annual race meeting and a rodeo close to the West Australia border. Negri races. Everybody went, including the workers and their families. In fact, it was the only time they were allowed to get together from the different stations, not just besties, but all the stations. Under cover of the races in 1962, they got together a list of demands, wages, conditions, housing, water, services, and they took them back to their station bosses. Next year, under cover of the Negri races, they had a report back. Nothing much had been gained, so they did it again, up the ante, can you imagine? being able to have an organizing meeting once a year. Over this time, they started getting something, a few dollars, but they never saw it because their pittance went to the company store and never got the cash in their hand. By the time the cost of rations was taken off, they were told they were in debt. Living conditions were terrible, huts, dirt floors. So that was it. Strike. The people who walked off Wave Hill Station in 1966 first sat down in the Victoria River bed. Brian Manning from the waterside workers brought supplies. Dexter Daniels, a First Nations union organiser, had been travelling all over the territory checking wages and conditions. When the wet came and the Victoria River flowed, the people moved to a piece of land behind the welfare officer's house. It was a patch of crown land, kept by the government for a police station, a nurse's station, and a welfare officer. They serviced everyone on the station, scattered across that huge piece of the territory. And the government welfare officer there, he actually helped the people. He gave them supplies, material for fencing when they took Daguragur back. He later got the sack, looking after people's welfare, I suppose. It was there the decision was made to leave the settlement and build a village next to the waterhole Dagaragu on Wadi Creek on Vesti's lease and start the campaign for the land back. The work of Dexter Daniels and some of the unions had a bit of a comeback already. The Conciliation and Arbitration Commission had been looking at the situation of unpaid, ration-paid, and less-paid station workers in the lead-up to the 66 strike. Equal pay was promised in 1965, but only became law in 1968 to give the station owners time to adjust. In other words, sack everybody. The man who represented the Cattlemen's Association at the hearing had told the Commission... Sorry, I am repeating his words. They did not work in any way understood by us. Discipline and understanding of work is foreign to them. Their society was not competitive in an economic sense. Working for oneself with ambition to achieve some economic goal was foreign to their society. He meant, given all that, they could only be slaves and their lives managed. He argued against equal wages. His name? John Kerr, who sacked Whitlam in 1975. As the station owners had promised at the hearing, the result of the ruling was that thousands of jobs were lost, men, women, and children were sacked, helicopter mustering was cheaper than people, they discovered, black or white. So families who'd worked for decades living on their own country were now evicted, station property. They were not workers. They were trespassers. As most of the area was covered by pastoral leases, they were now refugees on the edges of towns. But some of them, like I said before, did come to live at the strike camp because Dagaraga was holding on. When I was there, I heard about Dexter Daniels, the North Australian Workers' Union organisers I mentioned and Brian Manning the Warfie the Waterside Workers' Federation and Act- was Actors' Equity had paid for the trip down south for Dexter and Captain Major Lutniari and Vincent Lingiari from Tagarago, and Robert Tuduwali. he was the actor who starred in Jello with the lady who just passed away recently they had more than 60 meetings down south. A whole movement grew in solidarity with the Gurunji. It had sparked some of the first big land rights marches. I learned about the one in Sydney from Redfern to Vesties headquarters. 47 arrests at that rally against Vesties in Sydney. And I heard about the supermarket action where you walked into Woolies and you chose which checkout you were leaving by. And then you loaded the trolleys, and there were different people loaded their trolleys with spaces at your chosen checkout. And then you suddenly realized it was made by Lord Vesti after it had all been put on a long bill. And you left them there, didn't pay for them, and the tills were all stopped and had to redistribute. Vesti's brands were quickly moved off the well, I think they also shouted. Vesty sucks black blood, I think, was the cry. They were quickly moved off the shelves, never on display. The managers couldn't have that kind of time-wasting going on. There were so many stories from that time, I don't know what to do. I was tired of Pincher calling it Big England, so I got maps sent and I showed him England and Australia, and everyone in the camp laughed and it became Little England (laughs) after that. But I learned other things too, horror things. It was a week after my birth. Apologies if you can't stand it. They didn't tell me straight away, the women were very polite, but they were really surprised when they saw milk dribbling out of my titty. They'd never seen that happen for a white woman. They'd fed every white child on every station, so they thought we didn't have milk when they finally told me we laughed together, of course. But the bosses had milked them, literally. And after I'd been there for a while, then yeah, I wasn't a doctor or anything, but they asked me, did I know why some women only had one baby? Well, you can see what was happening there. If you were pregnant, you were forcibly taken to Catherine, hundreds of miles away, to the hospital, forcibly given anesthetic, forcibly given cesarean, And while you are unconscious, your tubes were tied. So you brought one child back from the hospital, and you never conceived another one. Ah. By the time I left, after three years at Dagaragu, I could see the dream not necessarily inverted, but definitely morphing. They'd been fighting for a safe base that no one could take again for people from different groups. They had built an amazing village. There was shelter, central eating and meeting area, a store, showers, toilets, gardens, cool room. And then came 1975, August, when the land was going to be given back in an amazing ceremony by Gough Whitlam, the prime minister. It was going to be a big event. Just a couple of days before, workers arrived to dig pit toilets. We got two blocks toilets they had to be cared for the visitors some workers came to put up the bronze commemoration plate that was going to remind everybody of the ceremony and they asked where they could plug in their drills (laughs) sorry we don't have any electricity they were so shocked they had to have an emergency call out for generators the day dawned and the planes flew, flew in full of important people. And after everyone eating Vesti's beef on the barbecue, Goff did the famous act. It was very dramatic the land coming back to Vincent. But what he was actually dribbling into Vincent Lingiari's hand was a 30 year pastoral lease, because that's what it was. It wasn't you've got your land back forever. The Vesti representative had got up first and handed a piece of paper to the Prime Minister, handing over a 30 year lease for this tiny patch of land. It was before the Land Rights Act. The area was empty of cattle. Vesti had paid helicopter shooters to kill them all beforehand. That's
0: it from Stick Together this week. You can catch up with the show at 3cr.org.au or where you get your favourite podcasts. Contact us at Together at 3cr.org.au. I'm Annie McLaughlin. Join the Stick Together team next week for more workers' news and remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. Stay safe and stick together. Enjoy listening to this podcast. 3CR is a community radio station, and you, the listener, are part of that community. Right now, it's our radiothon, and we need you to pitch in with a few dollars to keep the station going. We can't do it without you. It's easy. Head to 3cr.org.au/forward/slash/donate. Your donation really matters. Help keep community strong for another year.